Hi, this is Guy Kawasaki. Hi, this is Gideon Shelwick here. My name is Farnoosh Brock. And you're listening to Learning with Leslie. Learning with Leslie. This is Learning with Leslie. 888-835-2414. This is Learning with Leslie. Welcome to another episode of Learning with Leslie, the podcast where you learn, I learn, we all learn how to build an online business with a blog. No, I'm not talking about one of those blogs that will fall by the wayside when Google has a mood swing. (laughs) I'm talking about one that will thrive no matter what gets thrown at it. I'm your host, Leslie Samuel from becomeablogger.com, where we're changing the world one blog at a time. And as usual, I have another exciting episode for you today. I have another interview for you. I'm on the line with Michael Stelzner, who is the founder of Social Media Examiner, an online magazine that helps regular folk like you and I navigate through the social media jungle. In just four months after launch, they were able to build to 10,000 email subscribers. Now, over 210 email subscribers, 800,000 monthly readers. How did he do it? By delivering super valuable content and then using social media to kick things into high gear. He runs one of the top 10 marketing podcasts on iTunes, the Social Media Marketing Podcast. And today we're going to talk about how to build something bigger than a blog. That's what we're going to talk about today. Michael, thank you so much for joining me, man. How are you doing today? Spectacular. I love your energy. <laughs> well, I got to I got to get us in gear so that we can get all these juicy details and and help my audience to really build something that is significant. How does that sound to you? That sounds awesome. Let's do it. All right. So you you are currently um, running Social Media Examiner, um, and there's something that you guys do that I found extremely fascinating. Every year you guys do a, a social media marketing industry report. Tell us a little bit about what that report is. Yeah, well, this is our fifth annual uh, study, and we surveyed 3,000 marketers, just like you and me, uh, from small business to big, big business. And we asked them, what are they doing with social media? And um, we put together this report as about a 42-page report, and you can find it at socialmediaexaminer.com. It's free. And we just asked them, where are you planning on investing your time and energy into the future? What social networks are most valuable to you? And so on and so forth. All right. So you did this report. Um, I I can imagine it took a lot of work to put it together because I think this time you surveyed, what, 3,000 marketers? Yeah, it was a lot of work. (laughs) How long did it take you? Oh my gosh. Well, the survey part wasn't that hard because it's just a matter of, yeah. you know, having people fill out a survey monkey, but it took me months to actually analyze the data, create all the graphics. You know, there's like 70 graphics inside this report and re- and create the actual report. But it's been a long process, but a very rewarding process and everyone has come accustomed to it. It's It's been a great, you know, benefit of, uh, to my audience and of course, a great benefit to my company because we get a lot of press as a result of it as well. Definitely, and it's definitely very detailed. My, I have one question to you. Um, so f- of all the things you guys analyzed, what was the most surprising detail to you as you were putting this together? Well, you're going to like this one, Leslie. All right. Um, only 5% of marketers are actually participating in podcasting, yet 24% plan on participating in podcasting this year. That's a huge, huge 
eye-opener for a lot of people. What that basically means is that right now, podcasting is at about the bottom of the marketer's list of activities that mm -hmm. they do. However, 5x, five times increase going to happen this year alone in podcasting. And I attribute that to a couple things. Number one, you've got a billion smartphone users around the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, you have Apple coming out in the last year with a dedicated um, podcasting app. And number three, you've got major auto, auto manufacturers like Ford and BMW integrating podcasting into the car. So this represents a massive opportunity for marketers to essentially build a new platform. Definitely, and I encourage people to 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 start a podcast. I'm actually going to be doing a, a a talk at the Savvy Blogging Conference in a few weeks on that very topic, and I think it's very exciting. Um, so you know, before Social Media Examiner, what were you doing? Well, I was known as a as a writer, and um, I was known as a white paper writer. And for those that are listening right now that are thinking, "What the heck is a white paper?" <laughs> think about an ebook. It's a lot like an ebook. Um, I like to call it a cross between an article and a brochure. And typically, companies use white papers when they're trying to to, to participate in a complex sale. So, for example, um, uh, if you're a big company or a small company and you've got a product or services that, that you're selling that are kind of expensive and and requires some education to help people see the value proposition of investing in it, that's where the white paper comes in. And uh, I wrote a book called Writing White Papers. I had a platform called whitepapersource.com and I pretty much um, went around the world speaking, training major corporations, uh, speaking at conferences on how to write and market with this emerging medium at the time and that was in the mid-2000s and uh, I became a uh, coined as the king of white papers by uh, marketing Sherpa. Awesome, awesome. So were there things that maybe you learned back then that really contributed to what you're doing today and the, the success of Social Media Examiner? Absolutely. And I like to tell a lot of people that the best way to go from point A to point B is to leverage your strengths. Mm. And um, I was a really good writer. And uh, if you follow Social Media Examiner right now, I don't do a lot of the writing, but you can see that our editorial standards are very, very high. And um, so there was a direct correlation between um, me having trained thousands of writers and then being able to reach out to some of those writers when I launched Social Media Examiner and ask them to contribute to Social Media Examiner. And then, of course, because I was working with a lot of marketers, I was learning a lot about how to market in this online mm -hmm. era. And that, of course, helped with Social Media Examiner. And then, of course, if you peel back one layer, this is back in the, uh, in the, in the, the mid to early 2000s, um, just after the dot-com crash in like 2002 until 2000, gosh, um, nine, I was doing all this. So one of the things that I was trying to discover back then was also how to train people in an online way. So back then I was doing teleclasses, which mm. people were paying to hear me interview somebody. <laughs> and um, that was the beginning of um, the very early stages of beginning to charge for information, you know, and um, I was able to learn how to interview, which of course came in handy now that I have a podcast, Definitely. you know, and it's all about interviews. So there was a direct connection between almost everything I did in the white paper space when I jumped over to social media. 
Okay, so you're doing this white paper stuff. You're learning all these different marketing lessons. You're you're learning how to write. And that's a big part of it. Um, but eventually, I'm assuming something happened that caused you to make a switch from what you're doing there uh, to the idea that you had for Social Media Examiner. What exactly was that? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I think one of my God-given gifts is the ability to see a trend before mm. it becomes too big or or just as it's emerging. I got into white papers, the white paper space, literally just as they were about to explode as this massively important, at the time, the most important marketing thing for especially business to business. Uh Um, And I began to see some similar trends happening in social media. So around 2007, 2008, I started noticing that a lot of marketers were going nuts over this thing called Twitter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I remember uh, a friend of mine, Brian Clark from copyblogger.com, just massively evangelizing it. And um, I had a blog called Writing White Papers, but I was writing for Copyblogger. So I started writing about Twitter. And I wrote about Twitter for marketing profs also. And just so happened these articles that I wrote were the most popular article of the mm-hmm. year for both of these publications. And and then uh, my friend Ann Hanley at Marketing Profs, I said, hey, are you on LinkedIn? And she's all, well, aren't you on Facebook? And I said, well, I thought that was just for college kids. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I began to slowly but surely see that there was this emerging thing that marketers were going gangbusters over. And I just um, started studying the marketplace and I realized that there were thousands of bloggers in 2009 writing about social media, Mm. thousands. And I just knew because of my extensive background in content creation that I could potentially come to this new space where I knew nothing about it and become perhaps what I would call one of the princes of the space. I, I had no aspirations to be the king of social media. You know? <laughs> um, but maybe I could become one of the princes. And I knew that if I could do this um, by following a strategy that I have outlined in my second book, Launch, if I could figure out how to do this and I could you know, essentially do this twice, become a dominant player in two different industries within a decade, I knew that um, I could frankly do anything. Now, okay, so there's somebody listening to this right now and thinking to themselves, probably, ah, man, he got in right there when, um, you know, it was starting to get going or or something of that sort. My question is this, though. If there are thousands of people already talking about social media. I was late to the game, Leslie. Yeah, so, so with that, how do you still come to the game with confidence that you can build something significant? Because I know a lot of people look at how many blogs are out there or how many podcasts are out there, and they say, ah, there already, there's already a bunch of people talking about that. Why should I go into that space? How, how can you look that straight in the face and still move forward? Here's how. I said to myself, I came in in October of 2009, which is definitely late to the game. Uh-huh. Okay? I mean, it was already Twitter was, and Facebook were going nuts by then. Still early in the grand scheme of things, but very late. And all I did was instead of seeing it as a threat, I said, that is marketplace justification. Mm. I said, the fact that everyone is there means there's something there to be had. That was the first thing that I did. The second thing that I did is I said, I know that most of what I produce is at such a high caliber and such a high standard that if I introduce this standard into the marketplace... I could essentially take the market by storm. Mm. Just like in any marketplace, um, when Apple came out with the iPod and the BlackBerry was all the rage, what happened? 
they took over the entire, I mean, with the iPhone. Yeah. When Apple came out with the iPhone and the BlackBerry was all the rage, whoever talks about BlackBerry very much anymore? <laughs> because when you come out with something that is of such better quality, and I also knew, Leslie, that if I gave away the kind of content that all these other thousands of bloggers were holding tight and not revealing, if I simply just gave it all away and I brought together just super talented people and encouraged them to write the absolute best content ever, I just knew that people would go nuts. One of the things I noticed was that the most popular stuff shared in social media was about social media, uh -huh. and it still is today. So it was just me having eyes to be able to see that this is not a threat. This is an opportunity. And to anyone listening right now, even you, Leslie, mm -hmm. you're now working in the blogging space, which is arguably low. I mean, old and arguably in some people's minds, it had been around for a long time. And why should I focus on that? Because it's old now, right? Well, not necessarily true. Um, all you have to do is create really, really, really incredible content for an audience that needs it, and you can be spectacular. Marketplace is huge. We are one of the largest business blogs in the world, but still the vast majority of the world doesn't know who we are. So the bottom line is it's a big world, and you can make a great living off of this if you strive for excellence and you know you, you you just said it in those last few words that striving for excellence because a lot of people just throw up a blog and they're like okay let me just put some content on there but there's no 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 driving for that excellence and i think that is what really separates a, a, a site like social media examiner from many others that are out there talking about the same type of um, topic so my question is this what makes that type of content? What makes the, the, the kind of content where it really stands out from the crowd? Well, first and foremost, the social media marketing industry report that you alluded to earlier in this interview mm -hmm. is more important than may meet the eye. Not only is the social media marketing industry report a piece of content that draws people to us, it is actually our research lab. Mm. We are asking thousands of people what they want to learn more about what they're interested in. And that data in that report is how we decide exactly what to give them. Mm. And the key magic here is asking what people want and then giving them what they want. And so many times we create content that we are personally interested in, but it may not be what our audience wants. So we know, for example, that our audience cares about Facebook more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And we have as part of our strategy to try to produce multiple articles a month on Facebook. If that changes, our editorial standards change. It's all about giving people exactly what they want. So at a high level, first, it's got to be what they want. Secondly, it has to be of value. Uh, our standard at Social Media Examiner is at least 1,000 words. Mm, okay. The standard at Mashable is no more than 400. So the difference is we're the magazine, they're the newspaper. Um, and what we're trying to do is provide richer, deeper how-to content. And we know that at the end of the day, if someone is going to share our content, which is critical to our marketing plan, it needs to be perceived to be very valuable in their eyes. And if it's just a picture with a couple words, why would anyone share it? But if it's actually peeling back the cover on how to do something in incredible detail, you build people that love you. They evangelize you and they yell your name from the rooftops. And I got to tell you, we have some of the most loyal blog fans that you will ever meet in the world. It's crazy. You can't see this, but I'm nodding my head in agreement very, very much. So, um, so you know, let's talk about 
how you built Social Media um, Examiner from the beginning. Because I know you were very strategic about the way you went about launching Social Media Examiner. So give us some insight into that process. First of all, I came into a marketplace where I had zero knowledge. Mm. So I knew that I needed to rely on others. And I call those others fire starters. So I had been working for almost a year, <coughs> excuse me, to recruit or build relationships, I think is a better way of saying it, with key people that had access to the audience that I did not. And these particular people are Mari Smith, who many people know as the queen of Facebook, um, Chris Garrett, who co-authored a book with Darren Rouse mm -hmm. called ProBlogger, and he was very big in the blogging community, um, Denise Wakeman from the Blog Squad, and Jason Falls from Social Media Explorer. Each of them had a different, um, each of them, I had a relationship with all four of them, very good relationship even to this day. And um, after I built that relationship with them, I just essentially knew, and by the way, a fire starter is someone that has such a loyal audience that if they recommend something, it's like throwing a match into kerosene and it just poof, explodes. Mm -hmm. So I had these allies at the very beginning and I asked each of them, would they be willing to write one article a month? And then I said to them, if after that, whatever period of time, it's not of any value to them, then no problem. They can back off. But I told them the value proposition is that all of us working together can create something bigger than, than any of us working individually. Mm. And, um, that worked beautifully. And then once we launched, people began to see the people that were writing for us and they wanted to be part of it. And slowly but surely, we went from writing three articles a week to four to five uh, to six, which is where we're at right now. Okay. Slow, systematic growth. Um, so at a high level, that's how we started out. And we had a very detailed editorial guide that I built because I'm a writer. And, you know, essentially I set the standard. That, okay. That's, that's kind of how we got started in the beginning. Uh, also, I asked my fire starters to retweet everything every day, and they they did for a while. And I asked even the writers to do it. Uh, I told all the writers from the very beginning that um, what's expected of them, mm -hmm. and part of it is that they would go and comment on their blog post for the first couple of days, and that built a bit of a communal aspect. People knew that um, if they left a comment, that the author was going to reply back. Mm. And how many times have you been to a blog where there's guest bloggers? And there's nobody replying to the comments. Definitely. And that's a problem. And you don't want to do that, especially if you have contributors. So I think that collaborative process was part of it. The other part of it, which we can talk about, Leslie, is I took a camera crew with me to a trade show. If you want to talk about that, we can talk about that a little bit too. I do want to talk about that, but I want to drill a little deeper into one thing that you mentioned. You, Because this is something that I see so many people trying to do and doing it the the wrong way. You spoke about the fact that you, you, you nurtured relationships with these key individuals. Correct. How did you go about doing that? Because a lot of people are thinking, you know, I don't know a Chris Garrett. I don't know, you know, someone that can give me that type of exposure. But Here's how it worked. Yes, yeah. go ahead. Step one was Denise Wakeman was my, was my linchpin, okay? And it was someone in my personal network. So everybody, including you, Leslie, has a network that you have mm -hmm. because of your job, or because of whatever hobby you've got going on, and you know somebody in your network that knows somebody about whatever this area is that you want to go into. Yeah. And you probably already built a relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. So it was very easy. Denise Wakeman had had me on her show, and we had known each other pretty well, and I just got on the phone with her, and I said, hey, you know, um, who should I get to know? And she said, you need to meet Mari Smith. So I went to a trade show in San Diego with one intended purpose to get to know Mari Smith and nothing else. 
And it just so happened we're both in the same city and we hit it off and we developed a great friendship and she turned out to be the number one key ally. Um, Jason Falls happened to be a fanboy of me back in the day when I was a writer and he was one of the guys that would comment on my blog all the gotcha. time. He happened to be in town and we hooked up and um, had a beer together, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's about that physical face-to-face -face interaction and um, that's where the real relationships are built. You know, I, I, and I love that because my first time going to one of these trade shows was actually last year and, and the relationships that I made there have lasted and they have been much deeper than many of the other relationships that I've made just online. There's something about that face-to-face, -face, and I've spoken about this before in the podcast, that really helps you to take the relationship to the next level. Yeah, if you can break bread with someone or, or share a beverage with someone, there really is something magical that happens when you do that. I want, I want to drill down a little more just in that. I know we're sticking on this topic, but I think it's so so crucial in that interaction, when you go to a trade show to meet someone that you want to connect with, how do you, I mean, what's that process like? Do you go and say, hey, I'm trying to launch this blog? And <laughs> no, nope, you focus 100% on them. Okay. Leslie, you know what everybody loves? Mm. Themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is where everyone gets it wrong. Um, if some, like I, at my conference in San Diego, um, there was a guy from China who flew all the way over there, over to meet me. And one of the first things out of his mouth was, I want to I wanna do something with your website in China. And I just, you know, how awkward is that? Yeah. You know, you got to build a relationship requires a little bit of courtship. And had he spent time understanding who I was and what my passions were and what my interests were and not asking me, that would have been really ideal. Um, because, you know, it's, it's not until you start talking to someone and see that you share passions together that... Um, you know, you just know when you get to know someone when the timing is right. And sometimes it's not on the first talk. Sometimes it's not on the second talk. Sometimes it's not even on the third talk. And you want to just give, give, give. And I pour myself into lots of people never really knowing exactly who is going to turn out to be a strong relationship. But I can tell you that I have built spectacular relationships with so many people in my industry because I do everything in my power to shine the spotlight on them mm. and give them what they want. And oftentimes they want exposure or they want recognition, you know, and these are things, or they just want someone to listen to their struggles. And um, that's how you build real relationships. And then, you know, down the road, if an opportunity comes up and it makes sense, oftentimes the likelihood they'll say yes will go a lot greater. Awesome. Guys, you that, you're listening to this right now and you're going to hear a lot of tips. Please take this one <laughs> to heart because it really is about that relationship. Yes, you know, it's great to have connections, but it's about the relationships that you can establish with those connections in a real way. All and right. It doesn't require you to go after the superstars either, by the way. Good point too. You know, there's plenty of diamonds in the rough that are going places, and if you have eyes to see, you can tell. Like, for example, uh, Jay Bear, who's a really big wig in the world of um, the social media world today, New York Times, likely New York Times bestselling author by the uh -huh. time this, this interview goes live. Um, I saw him as a diamond in the rough and I met him at a conference and I just immediately connected with the guy and I said, I'd love to give you an opportunity to write a monthly column for Social Media Examiner. And he said, sure, what the heck? I just knew he was great and I knew that's what he wanted. And he went on to do a lot of great things and now he's one of our strongest allies. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. All right, so you, you kind of mentioned that there was a trade show that you went to and th that had some significance to the growth of Social Media Examiner. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, one of the things that I knew, and this is back in, in uh, October of 2009, I didn't really know who the players were. So um, a, a friend of mine is a camera guy. He uh, and I, I paid for him to fly with me to Vegas. And we were interviewing um, all the leading social media gurus at the time. The Chris Brogan, you know, Chris Brogan and Richard Chalihandra, who was the CEO of Technorati. Mm-hmm. And um, on and on and on. And I was just getting on camera with them doing these little 10-minute interviews, very professional. And... Um, and then I ended up releasing these videos on Social Media Examiner like one a week over time. But I got like 10 or 15 of them at the trade show. And then I did it again in Chicago at a marketing profs event. But this time with my little flip cam. Okay. And the relationships that I built with these people as a result of just sitting down and interviewing them just for 10 minutes turned out to be really important because what I gave them was a gift. Even to this day, if you go to Scott Monty's blog, you will see one of my interviews with him on the sidebar on every page of his blog. Scott Monty from Ford Motor Company. So, um, you know, it's giving these people this opportunity to be in the spotlight that oftentimes is really spectacular. And I think that was one of the key strategic things that I did at the very beginning. My goal was to create great content and ask right questions and get it up on the site, but also to begin by nurturing lots of relationships with lots of people. And I proceeded to do about 100 of these video interviews over the period of years and a lot of these people on these interviews ended up speaking at my events and writing for Social Media Examiner, and I've got great relationships with nearly all of them. You know, I'm curious. You said the first time you went with uh, someone that was a professional videographer, the second time you went with a flip cam. Contrast the two. Why the professional one time? And Well, the- one was Vegas and one was Chicago, and they were literally a, a few days apart from each other, and I couldn't afford to. Gotcha. I didn't have the money to fly the videographer again to uh, the smaller conference. So I just took the flip cam with me. I mean, at the end of the day, it didn't really matter um, because it's not necessary that the production quality looks spectacular. Uh-huh. What's necessary is that you just get that person on camera. And someone had done that to me at the, in the past when I, I was a white paper guy and I had made a mental note that that was something I was really kind of impressed by. You know, and uh, I just knew it was something that I could do for others. And that's the thing that I wanted to bring out there because some people are, might be thinking, man, I can't afford a videographer. Um, but you can go with your iPhone. You can go with a flip cam. You can go with something where you can just make a simple video and you're taking action that's going to help you to accomplish your goal. Um, so I just really wanted to kind of bring that out there because I think there's some significance in that. We try, we try to do things perfectly and, you know, as much as possible, it's good to put your best foot out there. But sometimes it just takes putting that foot out there. And if you go there with the idea that you're going to um, do something of value for the person that you're interviewing mm. instead of that you want something from that person, that's the mentality you need to approach. Don't even ask them to retweet it. Don't even ask them to share it. Just let them know when it's ready and say, hey, it's out. Thanks so much. Here's here's a link. <laughs> Many will share it, and if they don't, that's fine, because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do here is build a relationship, not get someone to promote your content. Awesome. So 10,000 email subscribers in four months, 210 email subscribers, uh, 210,000 email subscribers now over that. Email is a big thing for you. Totally. Why? Well, we are social media examiner, and you would think that... um, Having uh, 130,000 Facebook fans would be more important than having 210,000 email subscribers, but indeed it's not. Um, At the end of the day, I knew um, because of my prior experience that email is 
absolutely critical because it's the one thing that you own. And with Facebook, I, it's almost impossible to get in front of that 130,000 fans without paying a lot of money. And even then it's not guaranteed. Same thing with Twitter. So at the end of the day, I knew that if I could grow an email list, I could grow a business. And the key to social media examiner is to produce great content to persuade a segment of the 800,000 people that visit the site to want to get on the email list to get more content. And then once they get on the email list, when we have an event or something to sell, well, we've got this owned um, media platform, if you will, which is the email list upon which we can broadcast out these opportunities. And that doesn't cost us anything. And because of that, we really haven't had to do hardly any advertising in our entire existence because mm. our, our goal was to build this massively humongous list. Awesome. Awesome. And it doesn't cost hardly anything, as you all know, to have an email list. But it costs a lot of money to pay for Google search results or, you know, Facebook ads. Um, but gosh, if you can own the list at the end of the day, that's how you can build a business. Definitely, definitely. I wanted to definitely be, um, bring that out because that's a very important part of what I teach at Become a Blogger. All right, let's talk about managing something like Social Media Examiner because you have a bunch of writers. You, you, you spoke about the fact that you have um, some extensive editorial guidelines and so on. What mm -hmm. does that look like? How, if I'm thinking about starting an online magazine in whatever niche I'm talking about, whether it is knitting or whatever – what, uh, how do you structure those editorial guidelines in a way that it makes it as beneficial as possible for the writer, for you, and especially for your audience? It's a wonderful question. I'm going through this process right now because we're about to launch a, a brand new magazine called MyKidsAdventures.com. And, and I'm reassessing all this stuff right now because I'm getting into yet another space I have very little knowledge about, which is family activities. Uh -huh. um, at the end of the day, if you don't give... Um, prospective contributors a guide, then they will write to whatever their standard is. And one thing you know, Leslie, is that there's a variation in standards amongst blog posts that is as wide and as deep as there are people in the world. Definitely. You know? And um, But if you do give someone a standard upon which to reach for, they will try to reach for it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we do in our editorial guide is we say that we have very high standards and we say... Um, that um, we, we let everyone know that's part of the reason we're successful. And we tell people um, essentially what we expect. We lay out what a good article should look like. We give examples. Um, we talk about what to do, what not to do, how to write headlines, how to write introductions, how to, how to do subheads, the standards for pictures, video, everything. And literally, we and it's written in a very conversational style so that when someone actually, you know, um, wants to write, they, they can just look at this and this increases the opportunity that you will get a really high quality article. But you know, the bigger challenge, Leslie, is recruiting people. Yeah. I mean, if you just want to back up for a second, if you're just beginning with a blog, it's very hard to find people who want to write for you. But let's just say in your case, Leslie, that you have been blogging for a while and you've got a bit of a fan base. Mm -hmm. um, there probably are some people amongst that fan base that are thinking, I would love an opportunity to work with Leslie. Mm -hmm. So you could just start by getting the word out that says, hey, I'm looking for guest contributors and just see if anyone emerges from your audience. In the case of Social Media Examiner, um, we did this for the My Kids Adventures project and we have actually over 100 people that said they wanted to participate, but we have a huge platform. Mm -hmm. But you know, you first have to ask and then you have to set the standard in place 
And then you have to ask people to submit topical ideas. And then you essentially, okay, you say, okay, which this is the topic I'd like you to write on. You let people know that, you know, um, their article may not be approved, you know, so that way they're kind of going to try their best to deliver the best quality content. And if you want, I could talk about our editorial process. We actually have five editors that actually work on every single article. Now, that is not something you or your audience likely would strive for in the beginning. But um, <laughs> one key message here is that when you are a solo blogger and then all of, us, all of a sudden you ask someone to guest blog, you become an editor. Mm -hmm. And that forces you to put on a different hat. Okay, I do want to talk a little bit about that editorial process. What does that look like? Well, or, um, well, actually, no. Let's f talk about what it looked like in the beginning first and what it looks like now. You mean in the case of Social Media Examiner? Yes. Okay, if you go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash writers, step number one is for them to fill out a form and to prove to you that they have what it takes. And it usually involves um, asking them to uh, submit links to their best writing it asks them to submit a couple topical ideas and then you know that's just a standard web form and it's emailed to you okay then the next step is for you to review the the writing quality and see whether or not this person really is up to snuff or not and then if they are then you go back and you say okay um something along the lines of um if you don't already know this what are some things you think you could write about they'll come back with a couple topics you choose one and then you say to them um are you willing to commit to writing this topic? And if so, by what date? You ask them to give you the deadline. Once they self-impose the deadline on themselves and you hold them to it, and then you give them that guide, they submit the, hopefully the writing to you, and then all of a sudden you have to put on this critical hat as an editor. And likely every blog post has to go through some sort of a beautification process. And what that means is oftentimes there'll be great content in there, but there's no pictures. Okay. So you're going to have to go back to them and ask for pictures or screenshots or to take photographs. Or perhaps there's not a lot of logic to the way it's organized, so you might have to rewrite it yourself. Um, other issues are you're going to have writers that aren't going to come through for you because they're going to have other obligations. Mm -hmm. So you also have to have a plentiful stream of possible writers that you could rely on so that you can get to the point where you have a couple of writers like in the in the beginning of social media examiner it was me publishing once a week and then it was um two other times a week that we were publishing mm -hmm. so that's me contributing one third of the content and two-thirds of the content being contributed by others each person i asked to only write one article a month so if you do the math on that that's two a week that's eight contributors a month gotcha. so i knew that i needed eight different people to be able to contribute content uh, in order for me to publish three days a week. But I also knew that a lot of these people were going to end up not being very reliable or they were going to submit content that didn't meet the standard. So really, I needed a lot more than eight. Okay. So you just kind of have to do the math on this and just know how people get busy, they get sidetracked during certain seasons of the year like summer and holidays, you know, um, and you just have to kind of think through all that when you're beginning the process of growing, you know, essentially a list of, of folks that are going to contribute content. And how long did you continue with this three articles a week? We did it as long as we did it until the, we got to the point where we had more articles than we needed. Then we began to go to four articles a week. Gotcha. And then once we got more articles than we needed, we went to five a week and then eventually to six. So you let the growth happen organically. Correct. I like that.
Okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm feeling that. So Yeah, because, you know, it, it gets complicated when you're doing what we're doing. We have over 100 writers that we work with right now because we're wow. publishing six days a week, you know? Yeah. And some of them are writing uh, once a month. Some are writing twice a month. Some are writing once a quarter. You know, some are writing once ever, you know? Uh-huh. And they're all over the map with different topical expertise. And sometimes we recruit people when special stuff happens in the industry. You know, it's just all over the map and you kind of need eventually as you grow a team to help manage all that stuff. Because as you know, Leslie, part of the process is writing, but the other part of the process is prepping the articles in, in WordPress, getting the images, getting the uh-huh. SEO stuff together, um, all that stuff. I mean, all requires a heck of a lot of work. And eventually you as the sole person on your blog will get to the point where you cannot do it all yourself. Yeah. And you'll stop writing because you have to manage all the other stuff, which is what happened for me. And, you know, eventually the podcast came in and that allowed me to kind of re-get my voice back in. But even with the podcast, I have someone else on my team that is essentially taking content out of the podcast and prepping the blog post. Nice. So so in terms of your team right now, what does it look like fully with, I mean, you guys are publishing six times a week. You have um, editors, you have a number yeah, of we have um, We have a, a director of editorial who is whose job is to recruit new writers and and, and, you know, review the writers and look at the substance of the articles. We have an associate editor who um, is involved with essentially, you know, once the writer's articles come in, getting them through the process. Then we have a uh, copy editor who looks at the English language. And then after that, it comes to, um, to me and I look at it and I write the headline in the introduction. So I'm the executive editor. Then we have an SEO editor who does all the SEO stuff. And then we also have a um, final proofing editor, which goes through the articles and just makes sure there's absolutely nothing wrong. And then we have, you know, someone else who's monitoring comments. I mean, so the biggest part of our organization is really this big old and editorial team. This is and then of course, this- we, have, we have community managers too, which is an entirely different side <laughs> of the equation. <laughs> I love this. Okay, so this is... Once again, according we to run, what we run, like like Forbes or something, we run like a real magazine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, th- this is, you know, at the beginning I said I brought you on to talk about how to build something bigger than a blog, because this what you're talking about is not just a blog. This is an online magazine, but not just what you think of when you say, "Hey, I want to have a, a number of writers writing for me." This is some serious structure. But what I'm noticing is all of this structure here, everything that you said just now, is to focus on making sure that the content is as high of a quality as humanly possible. And it doesn't generate a penny for us, and all the money that we make on this organization is, is directly related to it yet. You okay. understand what I'm saying? Because the, 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 the spectacular quality of content that we produce every day is our marketing message. That content is what pulls people in every day. That content is what gets people to click on our ads for our events. That content is what gets people to subscribe to our newsletter and ultimately attend our conferences. That content is what allowed us to become a multi-million dollar company. You know, okay, so <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting I'm getting too excited. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm getting excited because you don't hear people talking about 
these types of things very often. At least I don't hear people talking about these types of things very often. I typically associate with people that, like me, have been running solo blogs, um, creating great content, getting it out there so that people can find value in it, establish their brand, and you know, build from there. But this takes it to another level, and I love to I love to get that other side of the equation where you see that blogging is great, but there's so much more that can be done around this whole concept of blogging. There's so much bigger that it can get if you were to know how to do these things and then go out there and put it into action. Well, one of the one of the interesting side effects that we learned very early in Social Media Examiner was that. Um, people that were reading our content really actually wanted to commune and communicate with each other. And it wasn't until about five months after we launched that we decided to put our Facebook page together. Hmm. And when we did that almost overnight, 10,000 people became fans of our Facebook page and started interacting with one another and supporting one another and answering each other's questions Uh on our Facebook wall. It was crazy. And that really opened my eyes to that content can also have a very strong community component that transcends just the comment box. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And um, eventually we built our very own community called the Networking Clubs. And there's 13,000 people in there that are uh, – and we own our own social network at uh, socialmediaexaminer.com slash clubs. And we've got these four different clubs and you know people come now and interact and they're, they're essentially forums if I want to dumb it down. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But mm-hmm. they're a lot more than that. Yeah. And um, once you have great content and you draw an audience to you and you begin growing a list, you also can empower them to connect with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's where that whole community aspect comes in. And then when they start connecting with each other is when a lot of magic happens because certain individuals start emerging from the masses. Those people maybe should write for you down the road or maybe they'll end up being on your podcast or maybe they'll end up speaking at your conferences if you decide to have conferences. Mm-hmm. And when you do have conferences, they'll come in mass. Mm-hmm. We had our first physical conference this year and we had 1,100 people from 32 countries around the world wow. come to San Diego um, for Social Media Marketing World. Now, of course, we built a massive audience, but I didn't expect that kind of response. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of great because we've essentially become this hub of the community by just de- developing and producing spectacular quality content that is almost 100% written by other people. Awesome, awesome. Let's talk really quick about the podcast. What role did, you, I mean, you said the fact, I mean, the report um, that so many people are thinking about getting into podcasting. What did the podcast do for you? You already had a brand that was established. Why well, podcast and how did that help anything? Yeah, well, the podcast has been really spectacular. I mean, I've told a lot of people this, but the feedback that I get from the podcast has been greater than everything that I've ever done all combined in my entire career. Wow. Greater than Social Media Examiner, greater than my white paper stuff all combined. And I think it's because I didn't realize how important it was to allow my voice to be um, shared and received by a lot of people. And I also didn't really fully realize the gift that I had of, you know, interviewing people and extracting knowledge from them Mm -hmm. in a longer format, right? I'd done it in 10 minute behind the camera, but never really in these longer 40 minute interviews. And it turned out people loved it. Mm. And it actually changed my perceived value in the community and the perceived value of social media examiner in a massive way. Because think about this. We've got the biggest blog in the world of social media. Now, 
all of a sudden we came out with this podcast and out of nowhere, everybody and their mother in the marketing world <laughs> followed us. Chris Brogan came out with one. Seth Godin came out with one. All these people literally within weeks after we launched our podcast uh-huh. started also launching podcasts. And, you know, um, and then I think the podcast allowed us to also have the biggest conference in our space mm. because what I ended up doing on the podcast was sharing the voices of the very people that were going to be presenting at our conference so that people could listen and get to know these people on the podcast and then want to come meet them in person. So, um, but the podcast has been a great recruitment vehicle where we can find talent to write on our blog, speak at our conferences and so on and so forth. So it's all interconnected. Um, and you know, it's just can, been kind of like that third leg on the stool. You know, we've got the community, we've got the blog, and now we've got the podcast. And, and because of that, we're strong. Awesome. So some, this is going to be the last question, but for someone that's listening to this right now that, that is inspired, but is wondering, you know, social media examiner has been going now for what, four years. Coming is up it, on four. Yeah. Coming October. up on four years. Is it too late to get into this game? In terms of me building Heck, Heck, no. a platform, just Heck, talk no. to that I mean, person. I mean, look at just look at all you got to do is look around at a lot of these people that no one has ever heard of today, but everyone is talking about. Mm. Like, who the heck knew who Pat Flynn was from Smart Passive Income, or John Dumas from um, Entrepreneur on Fire, who's not even been podcasting for a year? You can totally build a platform right now because everybody else sucks at it, okay? I want you to think about this. In whatever niche you're in, the chances are that you're consuming content um, in a podcast or in a blog or in video format, and you know that there are very few in that space that do it well. Very, very few. Yeah. This means incredible opportunity because it's not that you're late to the game. It's that you can do it better, and it's because I did it better and a lot better than everyone else that I came into a highly saturated, oversaturated marketplace very late that I was able to grow. And I'm telling you, you can do it and I'm seeing people do it every single day. So throw that thought out of your mind. You'll, you'll never be able to do it if you don't think you can. On that if note. Th- if you think you can and you go for it, you'll thank me and Leslie later. Awesome. On that note, thank you so much, Michael, um, for sharing so much value with my audience. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's been my pleasure. Awesome. So, guys, hey, if you don't go to the Social Media Examiner, if you haven't been doing it, head on over to socialmediaexaminer.com. Check out what they're doing there, especially if you're a blogger. You're into social media. You want to get your voice out there. Just just go. Just go. Yeah, that's it. You know (laughs) Check it out. Listen to the podcast. And um, maybe I will see you at the conference next year because I'm going to the next one. Anyhow, as usual, I want to let you know that this episode was brought to you by my 10 free videos on how to become a blogger over at freebloggingvideos.com. Head on over there. Um, you, You get to avoid the hassle and stress of not knowing how to get your blog up and running fast. Um, So check it out, freebloggingvideos.com. But that's pretty much it for this episode. I hope you got tons of value from it. If you got something to say, come back to the blog at becomeablogger.com slash episode 116 and leave your feedback in the comments area. And, of course, I'll play the number at the end. If you have a question, go ahead and call and leave that message. Until next time, take care and God bless. God bless.